Chapter 36 Low-Lying Communities The Father's Kingdom includes many low-lying border regions, where his people make their homes rather than dwell in the high country. All are invited to live in that home prepared for the Father's family, where it is located in the highest regions, surrounded by love, goodness, trustworthiness, and forgiveness. However, many choose instead to live elsewhere. They feel more comfortable in the cities of fear, justice, denominationalism, grace, atonement, or in the villages of justification, predestination, evangelicalism, omnipotence, sanctification, omnipresence, wrath, spiritual gifts, or end times. We have seen that fear, properly understood according to the father-child relationship of Genesis 2, is the beginning of a proper relationship of childness toward our father. But are we to live in that part of his kingdom where fear rules? As a place from which to start our upward journey, fear points in accurate direction. But is the city of fear a place for the development of a complete spiritual perspective? A thousand times no. Fear is a mere beginning point. What about the village of omnipotence? Is it a place flowing with milk and honey? God is omnipotent without question. But scratching out an existence while attempting to live only in that desolate corner of his kingdom is difficult indeed. Oh, friends, why do our dear brothers and sisters want to live where provision is so scant? So little food is to be found in the environs of the village of omnipotence. A kind of living starvation often results for those intent to remain there. No one there has the faintest idea what Abba means. Nearby sits another village called Omnipresence. Is it a portion of the kingdom where comfortable dwellings can be built? More to sustain life tends to grow there. On the whole, its residents are much healthier than the citizens of Omnipotence. Yet the place still makes for an incomplete and superficial sort of life. Is justice part of God's being? Of course, the Bible tells us so. But he does not want us making our home in his justice, though many Christians do. Oh, but I feel bad for the residents of justice. It must be such a somber and chilly place. The ground there is hard, and the only food it is able to produce contains a certain sourness that takes away a good deal of the pleasure of eating. The elevation is low, too, affecting the quality of air and making the place far more susceptible to the infiltration of valley fogs than is altogether healthy. 
as far away from the living center as it is, however. Many of the fathers, sons, and daughters choose to construct their homes in the city of justice. Land there is inexpensive, and building materials, though not of the highest quality, are readily available even to the most unskilled of carpenters. It is one of the ancient cities of the kingdom as well, with a long history that its residents feel qualifies it as perhaps the most important city of the land. It lies far down the slopes, well away from the heart of the estate. Jesus visits from time to time, and they are always glad to see him, reminding themselves that he was the necessary satisfaction for God's justice. Is wrath an aspect of God's nature? Of course, the Bible tells us so. But he does not want us making our home in the village of wrath though sadly many try to erect a chilly domicile there. Wrath is found upon the grounds of the father's estate, and we do well to know its location and the causes for its incitement. But it lies at the bottommost point of all, on the very valley floor. It is continually covered by the valley fog and the high mountains of fatherhood are nearly entirely cut off from view. Those in residence in that bleak gray region still suffer from the illusion that the master of the estate is an ogre whom they must not approach too closely. When Jesus visits, they sigh with relief, discussing ever and again their gratefulness for his taking God's wrath on himself. They never see the tears in Jesus' eyes that they so misunderstand his relationship with the Father. It must pull at the Father's heart to see them working so much harder than necessary to eke out an existence in those frigid and airless wastes, barely surviving when he has so much life to give them higher up. Is God's being full of grace? Of course, the Bible tells us so. But he does not want us making our home in his grace either. Grace lies on the other side of the estate, several days' journey from wrath and justice. In fact, it is such a warm and cheerful and altogether happy place that a great multitude have built homes there and are quite comfortable. It is one of the largest cities within the Father's kingdom, with a temperate, year-round climate. The ground there is soft and grows a number of things of itself without the need of much tilling. The city of grace sits higher on the slopes than many lesser villages, and more of the waters from above trickle down, though its green is paler than emerald. In the land of grace, the peak of forgiveness is visible, and this attribute of the Father's heart is understood more clearly than lower in the valley. But so little of the hard and vigorous work of the estate gets accomplished there. Seventh-day leisure is the predominant element of its spiritual creed. 
In truth, the city is in large measure a recreation and retirement community for many citizens of the kingdom. Alas, not many laborers and warriors come from the land of grace. For the food and air there do not produce stalwart and vigorous constitutions. There are expeditions to be mounted, both higher up into the distant hills out of sight and back into the valley. There are fences to tend, battles with the great enemy to wage, so much to be done. The father needs stout-hearted and manly sons and daughters to be about his tasks. Is holiness part of God's being? Most assuredly. But he does not even want us making our home in his holiness. Holiness is found on slopes of exceeding height, on the distant borders of the estate. There is no village, no community of holiness, only a snow-capped peak by that name. So high it is invisible through the clouds that constantly surround it. Many of the Father's own do live there, but they cannot scale that peak until the time for such ascension is ordained by the Father, and he takes them there himself. There is no oxygen there for us at present. It is impossible for our kind to survive there. We cannot breathe the rarefied air. Those regions require new lungs, to grasp how infinite holiness coexists with infinite forgiveness. It is air not intended for mortals to breathe. Occasional visionaries attempt to scale the sheer face of righteousness leading to Mount Holiness, but always with the same result. Those who insist upon trying are either injured in the attempt and eventually return to live out the remainder of their days in the valley, or else they tumble down time and again back to the region of grace. Certainly the Father will take us to gaze up the mountains of righteousness and holiness from time to time. He says that someday, he says that someday we shall receive new lungs, and then we shall be capable of dwelling there. When we live in the Father's love, goodness, trustworthiness, and forgiveness, he makes use of all the other attributes of his infinitely complex nature, according to their perfect and infinite, not partial and finite, purposes. Then will he reveal his whole self, and thus transform us steadily, by degrees, into sons and daughters who bear the stamp and image of his own personality and character. As we gaze about, we see many such communities of like-mindedness, where God's people dwell comfortably together, rarely mounting expeditions higher up toward the presence of his fatherhood. We see cities with denominational labels. We see the huge metropolitan regions of Anglicanism and Catholicism and Orthodoxy each with millions of inhabitants. We see the city of evangelicalism, with its suburbs of worship and praise and music and prophecy 
and spiritual gifts and ministry. We see other villages and cities and communities with many diverse names and labels over their gates, reflecting their founders, their chief doctrines, the emphasis of their historical movements, their hallowed days of worship. Most are enclosed about with high walls of exclusion, to all appearances intended to keep out all except those of like doctrinal persuasion. But then a shocking thought occurs to us. Perhaps the walls have become so high to keep people in, intended to prevent exploration on the high slopes rising away from the foothills. For as we gaze out over the expanse of this low-lying landscape, there are so few leaving their assemblies and walled enclosures with eyes wide, looking up toward the mountains, then setting out to discover if somewhere there exists cleaner air to breathe and purer water to drink. We steal a glance at Jesus beside us. We see tears falling from his eyes. We are reminded of his prayer for the ancient city of Jerusalem, and we know his heart is breaking that so few of these who call themselves his followers are eager to know his Father. 